Welcome to the Lubar Executive Education Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about the single most important skill that leaders must have in order to be successful regardless of their role or industry. And that skill is the ability to have a one-on-one conversation. With me today is Lawrence Krugner. Lawrence has 20 years of experience developing software and leading or helping startups focus their ideas, strategies, architectures, and workflows. He's the author of several books, including one on leadership titled One-on-One Meetings Are Underrated, Group Meetings Waste Time. Welcome, Lawrence. It's great to have you here with me today. Oh, it's really fantastic to be here with you. To get us started, can you talk a little bit about why you wrote the book, One-on-One Meetings Are Underrated, Group Meetings Waste Time? Sure. So I've been in this industry for uh, you know more than 20 years, actually, and I was CTO of my own company back from uh, 2002 to 2008. In recent years, I've been doing a lot of high-level consulting, trying to help other entrepreneurs with their startups. And I have seen them stumble over some fairly basic skills. And the most basic skill that a leader can have is simply knowing how to get the most out of a one-on-one straightforward conversation. There is absolutely no way to run an organization in a healthy way unless you know both when to call a one-on-one, which should be often, and how to manage it. So what are some of the key things that leaders should be doing when conducting one-on-one meetings? It's crucial that people understand a few things. One, ask questions and dig down into the truth of a situation. And this can be done in a manner that is very direct, very honest, very transparent, and at the same time is not disrespectful. You know, it's important. I keep emphasizing this to uh, leaders it's important to demonstrate real emotional maturity. That is, that is fundamental to leadership. If someone who is working for you has maybe disappointed you, but you feel that they are working with you in good faith, you simply need to educate them. You need to set expectations. You need to teach them whatever they did not know so that they now know how to do this thing you need. Now, there'll be the situation where you know occasionally you have an employee who's not dealing with you in good faith. They're dealing with you in bad faith. And again, it is crucial to have a one-on-one conversation with them because you will not find out whether someone is dealing with you in good faith or bad faith unless you sit down and talk to them one-on-one. I have seen leaders make the mistake of they get frustrated with the situation, and so they just kind of yell at the whole team. That is not productive. First of all, the folks who are dealing with you in good faith, uh, they're just confused. You know, you're not giving them something actionable. You're venting. You know, you're demonstrating that you lack self-control, which is going to damage your reputation as a leader. You're venting. It might feel good for you for a moment to vent, but employees who are dealing with you in good faith, you're not giving them something specific and actionable that they can work with. Meanwhile, the ones who are dealing with you in bad faith, you've just communicated to them that you do not actually know which people on the team are making an honest effort and which aren't. So they can continue in their bad habits. You are essentially giving them a license to continue in their bad habits because you've just communicated. You can't identify who is dealing with you in good faith and who is dealing with you in bad faith. When you talk one-on-one, it is much easier to dive down deep and figure out specifically if someone is telling you the truth or not. So expanding on that a little bit in a one-on-one conversation, what thoughts do you have on offering praise versus criticism or how aggressive can you be with individuals or when maybe do you have to back off? Oh, that's such a great question. The crucial thing always is simply to be honest. I know there's a lot of management books out there that say, oh, well, you should be objective and being objective means that you should always, you know, say something good and then pair that with something bad. I actually think that's a bad idea. I think that if someone's mostly doing a good job, 
it is perfectly fine to simply tell them that they're mostly doing a good job. Again, if there's specific places where they are letting you down, you can give specific actionable feedback about what they need to change. But in general, the idea that you need to pair every bit of praise with a bit of criticism because that makes you look objective or balanced or neutral or something, that is actually bad advice because you'll have employees who are doing the absolute best they can and uh, they're learning. They're learning all the time and they're getting better and better. Uh, if you're constantly offering some criticism with every bit of praise that you offer, you're more likely to demoralize them than to encourage them to get better. You should recognize the fact that they are making an effort when they are, in fact, making an effort. Yeah, I concur. And you know, I believe in something we talk about a lot in our executive programs is just continuous feedback in the moment if you can. You know, sometimes you can't maybe write immediately, but as quickly as you can afterwards, whether it be very positive uh, and letting people know what they're doing or a little more critical in nature in the hopes that, uh, you know, in a way to help people improve for the future. That's absolutely right. Absolutely. So as a leader, you can't always have one-on-one meetings. When should you have a larger group meeting and when should you maybe avoid that approach? Right. So inevitably, there are situations uh, where you'll want to have um, larger meetings. But I would say that the, the key thing actually isn't uh, so much that all large meetings are bad. The key thing is, are you, as a leader, are you demonstrating proper discipline in terms of choosing which people actually need to be there? Now, I have seen the CEO who just sort of pulled together the, the top 20 people without really thinking about whether they need to be in that meeting. And the worst thing of all that I have seen is when a leader basically needs to have a one-on-one meeting with everyone, but but pulls them all together, thinking, oh, that's efficient for my time. And me, and it is. It is efficient for the leader's time. That's true. Like, they get everyone there, and they can just go around and have a one-on-one conversation with this person, and a one-on-one pers- you know, conversation with this person, and one-on-one with them. It is just incredibly inefficient for everyone else in that room, because they're just waiting their turn. You know, they're bored. They're probably daydreaming. They're not necessarily paying attention. They're they're waiting their turn to, to speak and, and to have something to say with that a leader. At all times, you need to ask. You know, you need to look around the room. If there's 15 people in the room, that is 15 hours of real work that could be happening, which is not happening. And you've got to be sure that this meeting is so important. It is actually worth that 15-hour commitment. Some of this is Leadership 101, right? Some of this is stuff that's emphasized in every leadership course. So you might be like, well, why, why is Lauren saying this again? We all learn this. We all know this. And yet when I'm out in the real world dealing with real clients in real life situations, I see these mistakes coming up over and over again. So I feel like some of these lessons that we think of as Leadership 101 lessons are still things that need to be repeated over and over again until people get them. On your show, actually, back in January, you had uh, Mark Hirschberg on your podcast. Excellent, amazing interview. I really enjoyed it. One point that he made is this isn't like some math calculation that you just memorize once. This is more like a sport. You know, this is like playing tennis. You're going to you're going to practice yourself over and over again. And no matter how much good advice you get this year, a year from now, you might be able to appreciate the same advice in a different way because you've learned so much more. Your service so much improved. It's like that. We have to keep repeating certain leadership 101 lessons over and over again. Exactly because it's it's like a sport. It's something you have to constantly practice and, and hear repeated over and over again. So certain slogans that I think we all share in, in leadership courses, like, could this meeting have been an email? How much does this meeting really cost the organization? These are things we have to often, I think, repeat. Yeah, that's sage advice. And uh, your example of having the executive have the one-on-one meeting with everybody sitting there really hits home with me. I worked for an executive a long time ago, earlier in my career, where you would have that you know, his direct reports were all in one room and he had that 
one-on-one conversation. And a lot of times it was more critical in nature. So it didn't exactly become a meeting that people look forward to in many cases, because we knew what was coming. Uh, at least we kind of all knew we were in it together. Yeah, please. Let me just jump in real quickly and, and expand on what you just said, because that, that's something that actually, I just saw that at a client that I worked with this year, and I really had to repeatedly correct them. If you're going to give criticism to someone, that in particular needs to be done in a one-on-one. It, it should be you know, something private. It should be you're giving them specific actionable advice. Doing it in the middle of a group meeting, you're humiliating them in front of a group meeting. And there's almost no reason why you would want to be that disrespectful. While not exactly a one-on-one meeting or a team meeting or a large group meeting, I should say, what are your thoughts on social events? Uh, since it's kind of a larger group meeting, but not exactly. Right. So the thing about a meeting is, especially you know during the, the main part of the workday, the focus is on productivity, right? If someone is over there working you know, and they're they're in the zone, they're incredibly productive, they're having a great day, you don't necessarily want to pull them into a meeting unless it's absolutely essential. So meetings are all about productivity. And that's why I emphasize certain things like have an agenda, keep it focused, and only invite the people who absolutely need to be there. But at the same time, d- developing better communication on the team is also something that you want. And social gatherings are extremely useful in that regard. When I'm when I'm running a team, and this is a team that maybe meets in the office or, you know, maybe a hybrid situation where we're at least in the office some days of the week, uh, I invite parts of the team out uh, to lunch every single day. And I try to, uh, you know, invite different people. Of course, it depends on the size of the team. If it's only like, if the whole team is like five people, I can invite the whole team to lunch. If the team is like 20 people, I'll invite some people one day and other people the other day. But the idea is to build social ties and that builds a stronger team. We kind of informally get a chance to learn each other's communication styles. We kind of informally, you know, I can learn, oh, this guy's really extroverted. Um, this guy's really introverted. You're, you know, this woman over here is introverted. With this introvert, I need to ask them questions and draw them out a little bit more. With this extrovert, if I don't shut them up, they'll never stop talking. So I have to put a little, you know, a bit of a pushback a little, put a little limit on what they're saying, make sure everyone at the at the place at the table is uh, speaking. But the thing is, when it's a social gathering, it it really is a chance to get to know each other's communication styles and to build a stronger team. So I definitely try to have social events. There's a few other, I'll just very briefly mention, there's a few other social events that work well. I've noticed with uh, small startups, small startups can be very stressful. So often with uh, small startups up until they have like, you know, 20, 30, 40 people, they have um, an all hands once a week. And that as a meeting, that's just as inefficient as you might expect a huge meeting to be. But as a social event where we can share stories and kind of encourage each other, like we're going to make it, we're going to pull through, this is going to be amazing. It actually works really well. And maybe once a month or, you know, informally at different times, having a big um, social gathering is a chance for the whole company to come together and reinforce some big wins. I was at Privco when they had their first uh, seven digit contract. They'd had a lot of six-digit contracts, but when they had that first contract that was more than a million dollars, it was a very big deal. You know, we were crossing a, a serious threshold. So we had a, a big party for that, which is just exactly appropriate, you know. And that again, it might be huge and a little informal, but the emphasis is not on productivity because the it, it's more about sharing a tremendous victory that the whole company enjoyed. And ultimately, ultimately, I'll just say work is fundamentally about human beings. It is it is fundamentally about relationships. So there has to be some moment for that social element, just not during the main workday when you're really trying to get things done. There I would emphasize, I would allow efficiency and productivity to sort of take the to be the main goal there. Well said. Switching gears just a little bit in regards to one-on-one meetings. 
when you join a new organization as a leader and you need to get the lay of the land quickly and, and build your network up, one-on-one meetings are, are obviously crucial. Mm-hmm. How do you determine who to meet with when you're new to an organization? Right. So people might think that you can just sort of look at the org chart, right? I mean, that just seems so simple. It's, it's kind of a, a very simplistic and naive idea. But the thing is, often the org chart is wrong. In, in a sense, you know, the org chart is some of the wrong people are at the wrong level, especially when I'm doing consulting, I'm often being pulled into companies that are having some kind of problems. And often they're having those problems exactly for that reason. You know, they, they have someone who's very talented, who's buried five layers deep, and they have someone who's not very talented and who's like, you know, a direct reporter, the CEO, or, or they just have divisions. This is actually something I saw in a, a client I had just last year. They have like one person who basically has what should be six separate departments for some reason reporting to them. And they're almost informally forced on the role of CEO, but that is not their title. The thing is, there are so many organizations where the organization is still trying to figure out what the ideal org chart is. So the org chart is not ideal. So you can't just rely on that. What I have found to be very interesting is to look instead at how an organization responds to a crisis. That actually tends to be an interesting x-ray into the organization. You know, I was uh, a client uh, just this year. They had a very, very serious outage in July. Uh, Their servers crashed. And how the company responded, where did the communication go? Who was actually sort of alerted first, who was alerted second, who was alerted third? That sort of chain, seeing all the different elements spring into action and then seeing the cleanup work that had to happen uh, as, you know, the next thing and the next. Because it it was... um, uh, it was a B2B and the clients are businesses that expect a high level of service. So having that kind of outage also meant that afterwards, once we had cleaned up the technical problem, the customer service team had to essentially call up all of the businesses and apologize to them. So, and and then before they could even do that, they needed, the customer service team needed to be given a reasonable explanation of what happened and why the, why the engineering team was confident it would never happen again. The engineering team had to get all that straight and then could give that explanation to the customer service team and the customer service team could turn around, contact all of the business owners and explain to them, this was the problem, but it's never going to happen again. We put remediation in place. It's going to you know, make sure that this whole problem is, is fixed for permanently. But, but when you actually look at the chain, like, okay, you spoke to them, you spoke to them. Why did you contact that person? It reveals so much more than the formal org chart. There's often, uh, you know, there's almost always some informal hierarchy in an organization that's somewhat different than the formal hierarchy. And um, you see it most clearly during uh, a crisis. So, you know, I do a lot of consulting when I come into a new client. I'm very eager to figure out, okay, who can I talk to? You know, if it's a very small startup with like 20 people, I can talk to everyone. But if it's like, you know, a, a medium-sized business with like 100 employees, 200, 300, obviously I can't talk to everyone. So it's this question of who do I talk to first? And obviously that might be the very top leadership, but then the next phase becomes much, much more tricky and it's much more subtle. And and they're often, if if a problem comes up, or I can simply ask them, you know, during the last crisis, if I was not around for the last crisis, I can simply ask, well, during the last crisis, who did you talk to? And when I'm having a one-on-one with this person, they can tell me, oh, you know, and that crisis happened, I immediately contacted this person. And then I can be like, I can put them down on the list. Okay, I'm going to want to schedule a one-on-one with that person. And that is a great way to figure out who truly matters and who I need to talk to, who I need to schedule a one-on-one with so that I can come up to speed as quickly as possible. I really like looking at uh, how a company handles a crisis as a barometer for who to talk to and uh, and also creating your own influence map to marry up with the org chart and see, okay, where do I need to you know build a build out my network and who do I need to talk to as a new person? 
So on the flip side of onboarding yourself, a big responsibility of leaders is hiring and onboarding new people. Mm-hmm. With hybrid and remote working being more prevalent than ever, organizations are finding it quite difficult to onboard, get them up to productivity quickly. I just read an article yesterday that said over 60% of new hires are saying it's taking a year and seven months to feel fully engaged and fully productive at an organization. And that is really scary, regardless of industry, company that you're in. What is the leader's role, in your opinion, when it comes to helping new hires make those necessary connections so it doesn't take a year and seven months to get up to productivity? So this is a huge topic, really. I, I could say several different, we could actually have a whole podcast, I think, devoted to this one topic, but I'll, I'll try to keep this as uh, concise as I can. So in the first place, let's talk about the old world before the pandemic and, and when most people were working in the office. Even then, it was important to have mentorship programs for a variety of reasons, but one of them is simply that you often don't know how much talent you have on the team. There's often undiscovered gems. The larger the organization is, the more common that is. You've got someone who you hired to be like a little you know, QA person and actually turned out to have an amazing talent. Sonia Bramwell, I know, at uh, Sherman's Travel, was hired as a, as a QA person. She had just absolutely incredible talent and evolved into a person who could handle uh, project management and then actually became product leader. So you you had mentorship programs partly to just to actually discover what actual talent you had on the team. Now, in our new environment, you know, having gone through the pandemic and, and with um, uh, work from home becoming so common, it's it's really quite a new situation where the mentorship programs and the onboarding is more important than ever and has to be a lot more deliberate, much, much more focused, much, much more deliberate. I have been in a situation you know, recently where I've been hiring new people, relative novices who are just starting their career. And I know it's it's bewildering. You know, I, I think we can agree that uh, work from home has been just an incredible benefit for older workers, especially if they have children. Like I know they talk, Everyone I know who has children has talked about how great it's been to work from home and have the flexibility of time to better adapt to their children's schedule. But for younger workers who are just starting out, it is very difficult. They would have typically spent several years in an office building informal networks of professional contacts, which would then form the basis possibly for the rest of their careers or or at least you know for the next several years as they as they move up the ladder. And now they're not they're not having that sort of informal casual, oh, you're going out to lunch, let's go out to lunch, or, you know, oh, uh, you know, I'm done working, are you done working, do you want to get a beer? There's less of that, so it needs to be much more focused. So what I have been doing is I've been setting them up very deliberately with one-on-ones within the organization. Here's a new software developer who I just hired, and they're just out of school, and they're pretty raw. And I'm like, okay, here's John. John has 20 years experience. He's an incredible programmer. He's going to teach you the basics of programming, but also I'm scheduling one hour a day. You two are going to talk so that this this person can become an anchor for you within the organization. And and then anyone else who I think they need to, you know, if they're going, if I bring in, say, a, a new software developer and they're going to be working with the uh, business intelligence team, I'm like, oh, well, you know, here's, here's uh, someone on the marketing team who needs all the reports you're going to be creating. I want you to get to know them. I want you to really feel comfortable asking them questions. That might be a one-on-one that I set up that I am not a part of, or that might be a three-person meeting that I am a part of. It it depends on the situation. But I know I have to be much, much more deliberate in planning out the social calendar, so to speak, of a new hire, instead of just kind of leaving it to some informal process that would have worked if we were all in the office. It's important that it be much, much more deliberate, much more planned out. 
Yeah, deliberate is definitely the key. And I like it when leaders really take that ownership of helping develop people and helping get their new people up to speed quickly because it's going to make everything better. Returning to the theme of leaders needing great skills in one-on-one conversations and then combining that with our current conversation here about working remotely, what do you see as the most common problem with communicating and leading while working remotely? And how can people best address conflict when it arises? Yeah, thank you for asking that. So I'll mention that I've seen certain vices, you know, certain certain problems that come up. I have noticed that there are some people who they are much more, I would say, passive aggressive when they write in text. And it, you really, really have to be careful. I have seen now that we're all working from home, you know, in this new world where, where, where either we have hybrid work or, or we're completely remote, uh, there's just much, much more communication happening by text and much less happening face to face. And what the one of the worst things I've seen is where someone is is feeling a little irritated, like they weren't invited to some meeting or they felt slighted or, or they thought they were going to be included on some project and instead they were given what they consider a much worse project. They're, they've got a certain amount of irritation. And instead of being direct and honest and straightforward and maybe scheduling a one-on-one with their uh with their manager to to you know fully communicate about what they're feeling they just start like writing fairly passive aggressive messages on whatever the internal communication tool is that might be you know slack or that might be yammer or that might be whatsapp or that might just be email but still it's a very unhealthy habit and in its more extreme forms what i've seen people do is become in a sense more and more irritated every week until they are expressing things that are potentially damaging to their career and you know some of this is on the leadership too the responsibility here has to be shared if i as a manager see someone falling into that pattern i immediately schedule a one-on-one with them and i set them straight and like look you've been expressing this irritation on slack i hear you're irritated you have come to me talk to me we'll, we'll try to work it through if there's some specific accommodation that i can make for you i will but otherwise you need to stop that and and likewise each worker, every employee, no matter where they are in their career, can take should take some ownership and responsibility in terms of stopping themselves when they see themselves falling into that pattern. Being like, you know what, I'm I'm done posting passive aggressive text messages on Slack. I'm gonna schedule a one on one with the appropriate person. I'm gonna talk this through. We're gonna be honest with each other. We're gonna work this out. Makes total sense. So before we bring this episode to a close, is there any other final advice that you'd like to share with our audience or any call to action? Yeah, thank you so much for uh, asking that. My top level message is to remember that large meetings can be very damaging to the productivity of the overall team. So if you're in a position of responsibility where you're the one organizing these meetings, you need to demonstrate real discipline and think carefully about who you're actually inviting. Do they need to be there? The smaller the meeting the more productive it's going to be. I have worked at many companies that have experimented with many different forms of of agile practices, Kanban, um, extreme ownership. And I have seen those disciplines sometimes work and sometimes fail. The one rule that I've seen that always increases the flexibility of an organization reliably in all situations is keep your meetings as small as you can. That's perfect. Thank you, Lawrence, for all your thoughts on building your skills, communicating in a one-on-one fashion, and uh, really being thoughtful about the meetings that you have. If people are interested in learning more from you, where can we point them to? 
So I have a book out. It's called uh, One-on-One Meetings Are Underrated. Uh, group Meetings Waste Time. Uh, you can find it on Amazon.com. And I just want to give a shout out to Natalie Seidner, who is my editor. Uh, she did an absolutely fantastic job taking my rough draft and turning it into a real book. So huge shout out to Natalie Seidner. Uh, she really made the book a thousand times better. But um, yeah, the book is available uh, in some bookstores. And uh, I think it's available in Barnes & Noble and should be available on Amazon.com. Wonderful. I'll add some information about how to find the book into our show notes. In closing, I'd like to take a moment and thank our listeners. We wish you the best of luck as you move forward on your leadership journey. Please check back regularly for additional episodes.